This is a download from MFR. Hi everyone, welcome to the latest podcast. I'm sorry that Paul and Gino are not here, but as you know, at that last podcast, uh, there was a bit of a fracas between the two of them. And as the boss, I thought I'd better come in and try and salvage what's left of the podcast. So I'm looking forward to today's edition, where we'll be talking about the Osmonds and Slade, Sweet, along along with... What are you doing? Osmonds? I'm just trying to keep the momentum going because you guys had fallen out. Have you made up? We've made up. We're yeah, best friends. Oh. We're so what about my uh, episode on uh, the podcast? What it's what do we do? 270s. It's 270s. Sorry, boss. We're not having it. Not having it. 270s. 270s. Yeah. Podcast. Right, come you on. Out you go, boss. Thanks oh. so much. Thanks Thanks you go. Try your best. Right, you right. go. Go Thanks. 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 The 80s Rewind again with Paul Stevenson and Gino Conti. Morelli! That sounds nothing like Marelli. that song. You know, he's, now, he's now got mental issues and that's what he does. When he does that, he gets a tablet. He dresses like a woman. What do you mean he's not got mental issues? Morelli! But you know, one minute he's gone out for a wee walk in the shops, next minute there's somebody handcuffed to his radiator. It's like, you can't do that. You can't do that, you know? So now you have to sweep up rubbish. But no, that's true, that's true, yeah. Uh, we'd like to hear from you as well. Like Lovely. three C's. We'd like some compliments. We'd like some criticism, and we'd like some panties. Just... It begins with P, but yeah, okay. Not if they're torchless. <laughs> the eighties rewind again with Paul Stevenson and Gino Conti. So welcome to episode six of the eighties rewind again podcast with myself Paul Stevenson and alongside me of course Mr Gino Conti. Merry New Year! I'm just hoping we're not fired or sacked or anything after we just kind of forced the boss out the door. Well, I tell you what to do. Mm. When we leave this studio, instead of going that way, we'll go that way. Good that thinking. Way, we won't pass his office. That's it. Good thinking. Good thinking. If anyone uh, listening is wondering what Gino was doing, he's doing arm signals. A bit like uh, one of the air stewardesses when they point down and say your exit's this way, exit's that way. That's what he was doing. That's what I was doing. Um, but I wanted the lifeboat thing because um, I don't like the fact to take the bean at the whistle. And I believe that that whistle, because they say don't like blow the whistle. Well, no, don't flee until you're out and then That's blow it. the whistle. Yep. You know, although the same torch always know, gets me in the eyes. Do you know what I, I'd love to do as well? I wouldn't like to crash an aeroplane or anything like that. I wouldn't no, like no. to be in an aeroplane when it crashes. But the big inflatable slide thing oh, that comes out the wow. doors, how amazing would that be? Yeah. Get to jump in there, jump in the sea and that, that'd be well cool. I'd like to get caught in the toilet by an air steward. Sorry, I, I meant to think that, not say it. I'm, I'm so apologise, apologise. Done it again, you've done it again. So sorry. Oh, I'd have a shot the slide though. That would be quite yeah, good. Yeah, that would be good. That would be good. Episode six of the 80s Rewind Again podcast then. Um, and we're into the new year. We did make up. Uh, Christmas was wonderful. New Year's wonderful. Sorry about the slight delay bringing this one out, but we've been, we're busy boys. We're busy boys. Yeah. But today's episode is a fantastic one. It's a wonderful one. I've had a couple of, not complaints, but I've had a couple of mentions that it's kind of been very, very manly. You know, all the guests yeah. have been manly apart from Martika. So maybe a bit of a testosterone, a bit of a test fest. Maybe in, we should in, just, in, a, in a essence, tip her 80s. I love the his cap good yep yep to the sort of female variety the species the female of the species that's what we'll do yeah the women of the 80s that's what this episode is going to be all about the lovely ladies the lovely women the people on the telly the people we admired the singers the filmy people culture people culture women people, in culture sporty yeah sporty people yeah for example boy george oh that's not a woman is it boy he's he boy but he had real long sort of dreadlocky hair and he wore like women's clothes and he danced and he sounded like a woman yeah. do you really want I'm, I'm going to struggle with this episode, was, there, was, that, was that a boy? Was that, was that, was, a, that was a boy. I thought he was George, a woman. George, George Because I thought that was a, that was the trick. His name was Boy George. 
But he was a woman, and everyone thought, wow, is he really near a boy called George? Oh, no, he can be. He's a woman. Look at the makeup. <laughs> Speaking of which, actually, it was quite funny. Um, my son, he was looking through the iTunes on, on my, the computer, <laughs> yeah. and he said to me, I want to listen to that song, the one with the, the woman with the eye patch. <laughs> and I'm like, Gabrielle? I've, not got, I've not got Gabrielle on iTunes. <laughs> Can I guess who this is? Go, go. Is it Pete Byrne? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> See, th- how old's your son? He's uh, seven. And I'm in my thirties. It's just not right. We've made the same mistake. But still, see, it can happen. It still proves the fact that it can happen. It's People true. get confused. It's That's true. a cracker. Though. Can I get the one from the man, man with the iPad? No, he said the lady with the iPad. I'm thinking Gabrielle. I'm not fantastic. Gabrielle on here. Pete Burn dead or alive. Anyway, so yeah, throughout the show, we've got some fantastic interviews for you lined up today. To start with, we have the flamehead beauty. She's got a bit of anger and aggression about her, but in a good way. It is Miss Carol Decker, also known as. To pal, and this is a fact because I showed you this on my t- my Twitter account that I got th- um, was it, I got tweeted by her, direct messaged by her wow. on Twitter, and she's like, ha ha ha, you're famous now, and it was actually a, a virus troll, whatever that oh. is. Yeah, it was oh, a hacker, so it wasn't really her. You, I mean, I sent her a photo. I sent her a blow the belt <laughs> nude photo, thinking, hey. Is this what I'm famous for? That kind yeah, of thing. That's what, yeah, yeah, I believe this is big in Belgium. Nice. I mean, she never got back to me. I wonder so I'm, why. I'm actually surprised you got the interview. I'm surprised. Yeah, you obviously didn't mention me there. Good, no, good no, times. we left that good one out completely. And the other one is um, female British most chart-topping singles, something like that. 17 top 40 singles, the most of any British artist. We're talking about... It's Kim Wilde. Oh, wow. Kim Wilde, who's still doing it on the tube near you, Susan, sometimes. Hey, Kim Wilde. Indeed. Oh, Fred, no, no, that's not her. Sorry, what? <laughs> I was going to say Fred's kissing the USA, but it wasn't her. That was it was Harry. Kids in America. Yeah, it was Debbie. I got confused there. I, you know, Kim Wilde. Done. Well, she's now a fantastic, is she a horticulturalist? Yeah, she got into gardening. Um, mm. She told me about this. It's, it's not an interview I'm going to include on the on the podcast, but she was telling me about it that she she lived in London, brought up in London all her life. So when yeah. she moved out to the countryside, it was like, oh, look at this green grass. I tell you and what. All trees and oh, it's amazing. I wouldn't mind. Oh, look at her bush. She's got a lovely one just at the back. It's nice. It's got berries on it in the summer. Lovely. I think she trims it. She better use like one of those big chainsaw like edge trim. Maybe she does. <laughs> I don't know where to go with that one. So moving on, we've also got um, the boss has actually been really good to us because we went and begged for him and said, "Look, all this sort of stuff." He's actually he's given us the power to employ somebody. So we've gone out there and we have hired somebody. Not just anybody though. We have hired David the Geek. Yeah, David the Geek. Didn't he has been. Yeah, saying to me, do you know, do you know how much I love the you know how much I love things, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, your time will come. Mm. And it has, it's arrived. Did you get him to wax on, wax on first, you know, all that kind of stuff, just to get him warmed up and ready? Just my back. <laughs> so yeah, David the Geek, he'll be bringing us box office babes of the 80s, Oof. his little report. <sighs> Wonder who's in there. Do you know, calm down. Oh, I've got a few beauties. Oh, beauties, I think I might win that. Oh. Uh, and slightly off topic, but towards the end of the, the podcast, we'll also bring you a tribute of those uh, musical stars that we lost in 2012. A nice reflective look back on the stars that uh, sadly passed away in the last 12 months. Because when it comes to Gino and Paul in the 80s Rewind Again podcast, we don't forget, we remember.
We certainly do. It's a nice, nice, nice little slogan. Like yeah. No worries. We don't forget well, we remember. I'm going to get it on the t-shirt. I'm your old podcast. Indeed. It's open. So yeah, just to kick it off, because we had a couple of comments as well that we need to bring back the uh, top fives. We didn't do a top five in episode five, which is quite strange. So we're going to do one in episode six. Top five female-related. So I'm going to throw it over to you, Gina. What's your top five female-related 80s-ness? Well, we'll just give it top five women of the 80s. We'll go for that. If that's what you want to go for, yeah. Right, here we go. Uh, number five. And can for- I say, just sorry, before you get started, yep. um, I am so impressed with you today. I'm looking across the desk and all I can see is lots of paper with writing on them. Now, it's either a big shopping list or you've actually done prep because you normally walk in here with a Mars bar or a Snickers bar or something like that. You've got a newspaper rolled up under your, under your armpit and you kind of you walk in looking semi-glazed on the eyes like you've been up since two o'clock in the morning, like yeah, even probably on a few sherries the night before sort of thing. But you've actually come in with, with bits of writing on that paper there. I got up early on Sunday and I sat for a bit of no my cafeteria and I went back to the 80s. I took myself back. Gemini horse riding. I was like, you go out for your ride. I will stay here and I will do my research. I did my research and then I did a bit more yesterday afternoon as well. You did research while your, your wife went out riding. Up. Then I had toast with Nutella on it. Oh, it's so 80s. <laughs> hey, Nutella, Nutella on toast. Nutella. Do you remember back in the 80s he had the, um, the Bart Simpson glasses? It was in like a, did. a glass and he had the Nutella and once you finished Nutella you washed it out and you had a glass. What I love about Nutella is they've never plasticised themselves. I don't know if that's a real word but what it means they've never gone plastic. Yeah, all, it's yeah. always still the glass jar. Unlike and some 80 stars we could what I love about the fact that the jar I actually usually buy reminds me of like when I was younger I used to go and visit family in Italy it's just a little glass cup yeah, that you can it, yeah. wash out and keep it yeah. as a cup it's possibly wonderful. an oversized that's why you don't glass. mind paying that little bit extra do you you don't totally. mind paying a couple of pennies extra because you know but at the end be, of it you're going to get a nice glass uh, and to be fair if you ever try any other Nutella wannabe chocolate spreads yeah. it's not good or Nutella yeah that's what I did there no, no, okay. No, don't worry about it. Not, anyway, not, Nutella. Not Nutella. Not. No, it's good. Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, it's not true because the real Nutella's got a U in it. Yeah, that's not that Nutella. Not like not Nutella kind of. I know that's not Nutella. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You want to get Nutella? You don't want to get not Nutella. You want to? Have... Yeah. Is that what you mean? Like Nutella, as like a well, Nutella a rival brand. No, like. Just, just do your top five. Do right, top okay, five. okay. Top, top five, five. one of the eighties. Uh, start number five. Go on, then, go on. Um, Kelly McGillis. Ah, because don't, don't, although don't, she went don't, on don't. to do some, fun, yeah, from some fantastic movies, I just know her for, and I couldn't see past what she mm. did in Top Gun. My review of your flight performance was right on. Is that right? That is right. But I held something back. I see some real genius in your flying, Maverick, but I can't say that in there. I was afraid that everyone in that tax trailer would see right through me. I just don't want anyone to know that I've fallen for you. She was the mature love interest. Yeah. She was the the tutor. You got to go now. You got to look at this one. You got to look at this is this is my this is why I love her so much, right? And I really can't put her head number five, but this is why she's here. How many women let you turn up for dinner mm-hmm. after playing some homoerotic beach volleyball? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Let you take a shower yep. before you even apologise. Right. <laughs> and then you start talking about your dad, your demons, and all this sort of stuff. Uh, yeah. And then they sleep with you. Oh. Yeah. And then I still the teacher. I know, see you in class tomorrow. Ni bola. Thanks. Bye. Not bad, is it? Fantastic. Uh, yeah, Kelly McGillis, have you seen pictures of her nowadays? Um, she, yes, I actually, yeah, she's, she's aged not very well. Not the best. But she was, she was, she was, a, how can I put this? She had this look about her. Yeah. Yeah. And when you, if you look at her now in the 80s, she didn't look like she was of the 80s. Mm. Do, do you know what I mean? So yeah, was, yeah. She didn't have the dodgy haircut and stuff like that. And yeah. I thought she was a classy chick. She was a classy chick. Yeah. And she wouldn't fall for stupid lines like tap on the shoulder. No. She did. She does. Oh, she did, yeah. You don't remember that? Yeah. The star? Well, obviously, I've just done this thing. I'm just thinking about poor Goose. Can you give me a second? I just need to. It just reminded me here. Hold on. Give me two texts. Wait now. What are you doing with dog tags? I'm just taking them off. All right. We can do them. Well, I was going to... Uh, my mates, I meant to throw them in the seat, but I oh. forgot. So I'll just chuck them over there. Okay. 
Oh, hello. That'll do. Well, let me move on to number four. Yep. Number four is a woman who was married to Steven Seagal. Oh, right. Yeah, but he was a bit of a... Steven Seagal, yep. Yeah, a bit of a bad mm. guy mm. towards her. And he always played a good guy, but he was a bit of a bad guy towards her. So they broke up. But you cannot forget two of my, two of my favourite films she appeared in during the 80s, Weird Science. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She was made from a, a brow yeah, and yep, all that. Yep. Uh, and Women in Red with Gene Wilder. Ah. Yeah, I'm talking about... Kelly LeBrock. Indeed, yeah, I don't think I've seen that one actually. Or, uh, which one? Yeah, Women in Red? Yeah, yeah. It's about Gene Wilder. He's a, I can't remember what he does for a living, but he's a married guy and he's, is he in his car one time in a, you know, an underground car park in America and Kelly LeBrock's got a beautiful, you know, remember the oh, figure, yeah, yeah? Yeah, yeah? I think it was maybe, was it maybe after Weird Science? I can't remember, but it was around about the same, give or take a few years. And he's waiting on his mate or whatever it is. He's in this car park or whatever. He might even actually be waiting on his wife. And she walks past from the distance. And like Marilyn Monroe, remember she walks over the air vent and oh, the white yeah, dress and it all goes comes up? up yeah. Well, it does with her. And then I think when it goes up, you hear the song, Woman in Red, Woman in Red, Woman in Red. And he's just becomes obsessed with her. And then eventually it leads up to them um, getting the chance to sleep together. And it, it starts as it ends he's on he's basically climbed out a hotel window and he's, he's on the edge of a sort of you know the side of a hotel wall just like not sure whether there's any jump or not oh it's brilliant it's worth a watch there's no point in me watching it now you just told me the whole kind of storyline and plot I'm going to give you three stars out of five for that thank you very much oh, brilliant yeah cool uh, number uh, three for me is um, now we all remember the Batman from the 60s yep yep we all yep. remember how, how? Yeah, how rubbish that sort of was when you think back now now that yeah. we've gone through the Christopher Nolan trilogy um, but Batman came back in the 80s through the, the eyes of, of Tim Burton. Tim Burton, yeah. I know how dark and things could get. Fantastic soundtrack. Prince did the sound. It was amazing, the, the soundtrack. But I'm going to give a wee tip here. Number three, Kim Basinger, or Basinger, whatever it is, uh, because not only was she Vicky Vale in Batman, mm-hmm. she brought a bit of, oh yeah, beauty. Do you think Batman thought, I don't think I've got one of those things that I need for this in my utility belt. <laughs> um, but yeah, nine and a half weeks as well with Mickey Rourke. I mean, yeah. wow, when you were growing up in the 80s, Indeed. If yeah. that movie was in the house, yeah. you had to watch it. <laughs> you had Without to. Your parents, yeah. It helped you. And uh, number two for me is um, now she was mainly an icon. Uh, if you got, if you think about this, is just I'm going to slightly go just before the 80s mm-hmm. uh, to the late 70s. If you think about the, the iconic scene, Saturday Night Fever, when John Travolta was drying the hair, he's got the black pants on, yeah, he's yeah. getting ready for the night out. He's posters on the wall. He had Al Pacino and Serpico, and he had. Farrah Fawcett Indeed Oh yeah beauty Now obviously that was through Charlie's Angels theme So I'm going to link her back to 1981 And her appearance Yeah in The Cannonball Run As beauty She was the woman that um, Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise When they had the ambulance took And they had the crazy doctor I love it Love it So she's my number two And uh, number one for me And now you forget about this I actually forgot about this girl Because she did have success in other movies but she was the older woman in a sense, like Kelly McGillis and Tom Cruise in Top Gun. She was just slightly older than Tom Cruise again. Okay, yeah, but yeah. But this time in risky business. Ah, what he ends up doing when his parents go away for the weekend, <laughs> he turns his house into a brothel. Unbelievable. But Rebecca DeMorney in that is unbelievable. And if you remember the scene in the train, You'll never moan about Scott Reel ever again. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's, Gino, that's your top five. I'm going to go with something slightly different. Alternative top five women of the 80s. Can you just give me a second before you start? What are you doing? Oh, let's get that. Like. Fantastic. Put that magazine exactly. away. I'm, sorry. I'm trying to do a list here. So yeah, top five alternative kind of list. Oh, yeah, so okay. not yeah, your top cool. five beauties or anything like that. Just something a bit different. Although they might be a bit beautiful or something. Anyway. Number five. I'm going to start with number five. Annika Rice. Oh, my word. Annika. 
Uh, she obviously kind of started main kind came into the consciousness of uh, everyone here in the UK when she did Treasure Hunt. She kind of jumped out of helicopters, and basically all you saw of her was the cameraman following from behind, filming a bomb. Well, she basically won lots of rears of the year. I yeah, think, I think as well. she did. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think it became one of the highest rated programmes on Channel 4 as well, Treasure Hunt. It yeah, bonkers. she was out running about daft. That's and it. all you got was bombing the camera. <laughs> and then when a bomb was on the camera, they were in that sort of control room. That was it, yeah, with yeah. like books and looking at maps and that. And yeah, yeah, great programme. Then she did the uh, Challenge Annika, of course. That's like right. She went around the country helping people in the big truck and kind of building stuff up. And oh, it was amazing. Just- Wonderful. I love you, Annika. Indeed. Number four, Julie Goodyear, otherwise known as Bet Lynch. Oh, 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 oh. Who can forget Bet Lynch in the, the 80s? Lepers, I've just seen leopard skin in front of my eyes. And one of them big extensions on the old cigarette. What That's was that? Right. Filter thing. You know, it? I don't know what boobs it was. everywhere. She was a classic. <laughs> Do you know what I thought? I sometimes think, was she based on Cruella de Vil a little bit? Just a little that. bit, I'm thinking, yeah. 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 Obviously in there. She was obviously the manager of the Rovers Return. And she had a few different storylines. I think um, there was she was in a fire. That's and right. I think it was Kevin had to go up and save her from the That's window, right. pull her out and all that sort of stuff. And then she got married to Alec Gilroy, remember that? Look, when I see you being chatted up across the bar, I don't like it. I can't you understand that? And can't you understand, Alec, that being chatted up is what you might call an occupational hazard for a barmaid. And let's be honest, a very enjoyable hazard most of the time. But just because I'm enjoying myself doesn't mean that I'm making secret arrangements to go hopping into bed with somebody. Well, I know that. Look, what I'm trying to say is I'm sorry and I'm a forgiven. Well, I'll think about it. Get up them stairs. Alex Gilroy, the boy that went and brought her back from Spain and stuff, and then oh, all that's a bit right because she could, yeah, yeah she, could, she could actually get a pint of heavy between her breasts and use that to hold it at a forty-five degree angle, may that's I add, and then pour it in the baller. Well, let's be fair, Alec is that bit shorter than her. He could probably just drunk it from that point. <laughs> what if that went on in the extras? Do you think there was a bit of <laughs> 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 better that? But he speedboated going yeah, on there. Possibly, I could not comment any other way. Number three, keep them comments to yourself, please. Better respect for this one. I'm talking about Princess Diana. Oh, my word. I think she was just iconic. She Well, she still is very iconic, but in the 80s, obviously, she got married and was 81. Um, and then, obviously, gave birth yeah. to William and Harry. Yeah. And she was just iconic. She was such a lovely lady. She just, I mean, she just came across, she was just portrayed as a beautiful woman. She just seemed perfect for the royal family. She obviously, a, a few demons and stuff. Oh, there was a lot of things. Yeah, a lot of things. I think she started to make the difference which you can sort of see now the way Prince Harry are, Prince William are more yeah. so and I suppose overall the way they're all family are now she she brought something different and new yeah kind of modernised yeah, didn't she yeah to the monarchy and uh, I'll never forget it was um, when the news broke I'd got up really early I had a sort of bad sleep anyway mm. and I'd got up to go to the loo and I just turned on the radio because I thought I'm going to get a cup of tea and that's when I was like oh, wow and it yeah. must have been about 22 or maybe slightly later than that yeah and no, I was the same I, I remember getting up and switching the telly on and but don't it. forget her work she did internationally. She did all the ma- the landmine stuff. And yeah, she, was she did all that. A lot of stuff, Lots yeah. of stuff for UNICEF and, and things. And we've now got that lovely memorial and and things. And I yeah. think, how can I put this? I think that all family uh, haven't come off it better off in a sense because we still really don't know what all the ends and odds. Uh, however, I think Prince William and Prince Harry have now come. They've, you know, I think yeah, she would be yeah. proud of them. And you know what's weird? I was in Paris about a couple of years ago and um, we were going over the, the flyovers. And oh stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's the subway bits and stuff in the yeah, tunnels the tunnel. and. There was a, there's a, I'm sure, I don't know if it was the exact spot, but there was a Princess Diana graffiti. I don't know what it said, but 
it was quite mm. obvious there was love hearts and stuff and yeah. I thought I wondered if that was the actual spot if you know what I mean uh, it's tragic times, tragic times. But bringing it to a local kind of angle, I don't know if this is true, but I've seen it somewhere that um, our very own Tilda Swinton, you know, Oscar winning actress. Yes, yes. She went to school with Princess Diana. Wow. Believe it or not. Yeah, from what I've read, she was with her at West Heath Girls School where she was a colleague of uh, Lady Diana Spencer, as she was known. Just goes to show yeah. you. Small so world. Yeah, Tilda, who uh, actually worked with quite a lot for different reasons and stuff. So, yeah, she's a lovely lady as well, even though she's an Oscar winner and she's got like Brad Pitt and that on her phone. Yeah, and George stuff. Clooney and yeah, that. Just dropped names in and stuff. But See, next time she's in, could yep. you get her to say Manania? DVDs, Manania. She actually signed a script, uh, Narnia script for me once. Yeah, Steve, but did you know that? What? Yeah, it's a true story. I've got a, a script uh, that she had uh, when she was doing the whole Lion Witch, the wardrobe stuff, and she had a script and she had to revoice a few different bits yeah. and I was helping and all that kind of stuff. And she signed it for me. So I've got that at home. That's believe amazing. it or not. Have yes. you got it framed? I don't know. No, it's in a bag somewhere. Treasured, treasured, obviously. <laughs> treasured possession. <laughs> Moving on. Number two <laughs> of my alternative top five females of the 80s. I'm going for sport this time. Yep. Slightly different. Now, we all think of women and ladies and girls. When it comes to throwing, they just can't do it, can they? Nah. Girls nah. just cannot throw. Pissy fits, yes. Objects, <laughs> no. Apart from one lady, I'm talking about the only British female to have won an Olympic gold medal for a throwing event. Not just an Olympic gold medal, though. She won three Commonwealth Games World blooming gold medal things as well I know who this is who Fatma Whitbread no <laughs> it's not it was Tessa Sanders. Tessa Sanders. <laughs> I was just kidding no Tessa Sanders. but there was that joke about Fatma Whitbread do you remember that what joke about the guy goes for a pint and it's a pint of Whitbread ale and he, ta- he goes to taste it and it must be something wrong with the pipes and he says to the barmaid he says do you Fatma Whitbread she goes I'm Tessa Sanderson Maybe it was different. Yeah, so anyway, Tessa Sanders said she was uh, better than Fatima Red. They did have a bit of a rivalry going on in the 80s. They did, yeah. Tessa was the, I think she's the only second person or second female in the track and field events to have competed in six Olympic Games. Wow. In a row. Incredible. So that's like, in, that's over a period of 24 years? Yeah, yeah. From, Unbelievable. Well, from 76 to 96. Wow. Consider, 20, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Six. That's incredible. And her longest ever throw, her personal best, was 73 metres and 58 centimetres, set in Edinburgh, believe it or not. Oh! Yep. In 1983. That was the best ever throw in That's Edinburgh. So links back to Scotland again. 70 odd metres. Holy bonkers, moly. 73 metres. I can, I can run that. I wonder <laughs> if you and I were to go home tonight and both anger our wives, as they're throwing our clothes out, would they find it a bit of an annoyance or unnecessary if you and I were to measure how far they got on the lawn <laughs> kind of thrown from the bedroom get out don't come back I'll yeah. give them like a broom or something broom handle and they can just kind like of like a javelin yeah, yeah. don't sharpen it though oh yeah she'll aim, she'll aim for you she'll aim My for you word, that's yeah. true or, 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 I've got an old bowling ball oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. good thing I've got a paperweight at home somewhere just yeah. get her to chuck like, yeah, cob that around it. the garden the, ball, the engineer Malcolm he's got a fantastic piece of he's got a meter stick oh there you go like one two like sort of thing yeah I don't think we'll beat Tessa, but we'll see what happens. We'll report back we'll, in epi- could, episode yep, 7 we'll see what we'll happens. Yeah. Yeah. And number one, alternative top five females of the 80s. I'm throwing in Super Gran. Do you remember her? <laughs> Gudrun Euro. She was Scottish. She was oh, in a kids she was, TV oh. show. I used to love that programme. Super Gran. Yes. I, it was the, the fact that... Did, I'm trying to think, did she have... Because I suppose, if you think about it now, I mean, there's no CGI and stuff like that. It was just sort of sped up <laughs> yeah, when she yeah. had to do her running <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> 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 
Super grand! Super grand! One of the Geordies as well, something that the rest of the cast of Geordies apart from this Scottish woman. Ah, super, super grand! Did she not usually throw knitting needles at guys or that? Criminals at that point. I remember one, I remember, uh, was it Jeff Cabes? She was doing something with Jeff Cabes and, and he threw a big booming cable or he was doing his kilt on and all that sort of stuff and threw yeah. a cable on it and landed on a wonderful. So anyway, super something grand. a little bit Brilliant. different. Top five alternative females of the 80s. Super grand at number one. Fantastic. I love super grand. Love super grand. Anyway, on to our first interview then of the episode six. Now, um, massive. Give me a just to kind of say it. What are you doing? Wow, look at that. Like. I'm trying sorry, to concentrate. Sorry, I'm trying sorry, to concentrate. Sorry, sorry. I've got yeah. a magazine. Okay, shush, shush. So, yeah, um, we're talking to the wonderful Carol Decker. Now, obviously, she was the lead singer from the band Tapal that had massive, massive hits. Uh, they were big in America before they were big over here. Um, and the big one that we know. It's China in Your Hand. That was a massive song. It was number one for five weeks and everything like that. Do you know something? Oh, what? You know that movie, that, sorry, not movie, that programme, Dragon's Den? Yeah, yeah. Well, Carol Decker was like on a charity episode. Oh, right, okay. And yeah. there was a guy that wanted to do this new shop. It was like sort of discount price stores that only sold crockery. And he went to Carol Decker and said to her, <laughs> what? what are you laughing at? <laughs> he went to Carol Decker and says, Carol Decker, because she was next to that Hilary Devine. Uh, Devine yeah, yeah, going, yeah. Ooh, ooh. It pallets, pallets. <clears throat> and he went to Carol Decker and says, "Look, I've got this, this crockery discount massive warehouse store. Do you think it'd be? Do you think I should pursue it?" And she went, "Don't push too far your dreams of China in your hand." That's a true story. <laughs> oh my word! Anyway, back to my magazine. <laughs> Let's hear from Carol Decker. Hey Paul, how are you doing? I'm not too bad at all. Now, does that take Good. you back, that song? It does. Two <laughs> very, very, very happy and exciting times. I can imagine. Well, it took you a couple of releases, didn't it, actually, over here before it became big, but it broke in America first, didn't it, that one? It did. It was our first single in the um, in the UK, and it went to number 98 and straight back out of the charts. And our record company, which was um, Siren, which was a subsidiary virgin, they were disgusted, and, and we all thought... Our career was over before it had begun. But fortunately, um, the Americans loved it, and it went to number four in the Billboard chart. And it stayed on the American charts in some form or another for almost six months. Okay. So, and, you know, back then, I'm, I'm assuming the same thing happens now. If you had a big hit in the States, it tended to jettison you out across the rest of the world. Mm. So we got a reprieve. <laughs> and... Um, Heart and Soul went top five in most territories around the world, but we got a second chance here in the UK, and it went to number four in the UK as well. Well, that, that song was massive, but then to follow, you couldn't have expected that China in Your Hand was going to be even bigger, and it was number one for five weeks. It was, and um, such a surprise, because it was a late addition to the album. It, it, it wasn't completed, it wasn't finished, and it wasn't... Um, part of what the record company had heard to give us our deal and put us in the studio but we were in the studio with Roy Thomas Baker in America and one song, I can't remember which night, it just wasn't working out so we were tracked short and he said have you got anything else and um, Ronnie and I had this sort of half finished piano and some vocals on a cassette and that was it and we played it to, to Roy and he said that's fabulous, you know, let's work on it. And we had to anyway, because we were tracked down, and, and that was it. Can I ask you what the song's all about? <laughs> uh, oh, it all sounds so pompous and grand, but <laughs> it's actually about Mary Bishelli writing the story of Frankenstein. I'd, I'd seen this documentary about 
her and her husband, Percy Shelley, and, and their trendy gang, which included Lord Byron. And when she wrote this book, she was only 19, and, and it was um, what would be the equivalent of a very successful pulp fiction now. And she, she blew them and all their poems out of the water. And it caused a lot of dissent in their camp. There was a lot of professional jealousy, I think. And um, I think there was a bit of a triste going on between her and her husband and Lord Byron. So it was all very complicated. <laughs> and so she got this tremendous success, but it brought about the end of all their friendships. And that's a, And then the story wrapped up inside of that, of course, is Frankenstein himself, who you know, ended up completing his heart's desire, creating life, and created his own nightmare and his own end. So it's just a, a story within a story about the parable of being careful what you wish for. My words. That does sound a little bit crazy. <gasps> and for breath. <laughs> <laughs> How did you feel then when it actually got to number one? Because that must have been a massive feeling for you. Just stunned. You know, I was just really stunned that uh, we were... I'd, I'd hoped for some success. I'd been working a long time to get a record deal. All I ever wanted was like to be on top of the pops or something, you know. But to go to number one and, and stay there for five weeks was just beyond my wildest dreams. It was fantastic. And it wasn't just a single, was it? Because obviously the album came out was it a week later and that hit number one at the same time, didn't it? It did. And um, I have been reliably informed by... Um, I think ASCAP and PRS know all sort of songwriting bodies that that's quite an exclusive club to belong to to have a simultaneous number one album and single, which I didn't realise, but now I'll be big-headed about that now as well. <laughs> well so you should. Um, <laughs> did you enjoy all the fame that came your way? Did you really lap it up as a, as a big uh, pop star back in the day? Oh, I did. I loved it. Couldn't get over myself, you know. <laughs> and uh, I think it got on the band's nerves a bit because... Um, certainly a couple of our musicians were really quite worthy musos, you know, mm -hmm. and they sort of didn't like all the smash hit stuff and, you know, um, the, the tabloid interest in me and things like that. But I did. <laughs> I thought I was great. <laughs> we had quite a bit of money back then and um, treated ourselves accordingly. You know, flashy holidays and going to all the places you'd always dreamed of going to. Well, you had a reputation being back then of being feisty and I'd heard that <laughs> your fellow members of the band uh, referred to you as the Moo. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I just stick up for myself. I, you know, it's that old thing, isn't it? That a guy's just being a guy and a, and a woman's a bitch, you know. And I'm perfectly capable of being a bitch sometimes, I'm sure. But um, I would just, you know, often the only female in, in a whole host of very loud men. And you, I just had to fight to be heard. It was like having a thousand brothers, you know, and you've just got to get in there and, and wrestle with them and fight fire with fire. So that's all I did. I don't go out looking for fights, ever. Uh, now, you had uh, another two successful albums, didn't you? Rage and The Promise, but the band split up in 1991. What was all that about? Oh, it's really hard to put a finger on one thing, you know. I mean, yeah, the, the Rage, our second album, everybody forgets this, it was a platinum album. But because Bridge of Spies, our first album, was quadruple platinum, it sort of dwarfed the fact that Rage was still a platinum album. Mm. So we were still on a fantastic roll. And we'd been on the road solidly for almost 17 months. And Ronnie and I had written those first two albums in Shrewsbury in our damp little flat. So we had two albums worth of material stacked up. By the time we come to record the third album, you know, we'd all been living in each other's pockets the politics of the band had changed we'd all gone from being in either lowly paid jobs or on the dole to, to the six musketeers all in it together and then 
when the royalties came in, obviously Ronnie and I got all the writing royalties. And although the boys were on fantastic salaries, there quickly became this sort of financial divide between us and they could see it and it caused a lot of resentment on their part, which I never thought was justified because <clears throat> we wrote all the songs before we met them. Mm. So, you know, I just made sure that they were paid very well for being the musicians that played on the road. They had a share of merchandising. You know, we thought we'd set them up a good deal, but they started to want more and more and more. And then we resented them for that. We thought they were being greedy. So there's the usual kind of financial spat. We then discovered that our then manager was um, doing naughty things behind our backs with our money. So that was awful. That took us four years to sort out and go to court. And and we just ran out of steam. And by the time we re-emerged with The Promise in 91, everything had changed. And it was sort of Manchester and... You know, the Stone Roses and bands like The Farm, the whole musical climate had changed and we, we didn't really fit in and we weren't getting along. There you go, the wonderful Carol Decker speaking quite openly about the fact that she loved fame and the fact that the band broke up because of um, the infighting when it comes to money and all that sort of stuff. But uh, she's still on the circuit. She still does a lot of the 80s rewind festivals and tours and here and nows and all that sort of stuff. I think she's at the here. Is she not at the here and now one in Falkirk? I think she, she is in the one yeah. in Falkirk. Yeah, yeah, because I was looking at that. That's a fantastic lineup. Yeah, but Tapao, did you know what their original name was? When they first did their demos and they sent them around to all the record companies, do you know what their original name was? What they put on the demos? I've got. Was, was Tapao. Um, a derivative of the original name? No. No, right, okay. I've got no idea. Okay. It was Talking America. That was what they were going to call themselves originally. Ah. And then the Tapal thing came from, was it Star Star Trek? I think it was some sort of... Is that a character or...? Thing. I, I don't know what it is, to be honest with you. She did explain it, which is a bit I've left out of the interview there, but uh, it's, it's a weird Star Trek kind of reference. When I was getting to the stage where um, I was about, what, how old was I? I must have been between, say, 10, 14. That sort of age group. Uh, my older sister was obviously well into her music and stuff. Mm. She was into the Duran Durans and the culture clubs and stuff like that. And it got to the point where mum and dad were like, right, okay, Christmas, what are you after? Blah, blah, blah. Mum's like, do you want a cassette? Do you want like a cassette album? And at the time, I'd asked for Paul Young. Yeah, yeah. And she got me to pal Chain in Your Hand, the album that came from. And she was on the front and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and White yeah. lace and things. Yeah, loved it. Uh, it's a great album. It's, it's a great song as well. And as I said uh, before the interview, five weeks that was at number one. Absolutely mahusive. Not many tunes get five weeks at number one. No, not many. And as she said in the interview, it was um, number one on the single chart, and the album was number one on the album chart, which is doesn't often happen. Don't so, get a double. Yeah. I mean, I think re- more recently, a person doing that is maybe your Adele's and your Bruno Mars, but yeah, yeah. not many other people. No, especially back in the in the day, it was very different as well, wasn't it? Because when you think about it, back in the day, back in the eighties. Nowadays, we, we hear the song that many times before it's even released. That as soon as it's yep. released, it's number one. Whereas back in the day, it kind of it was released and kind of built up momentum. And it went up and, and it, up yeah, and it up rose and up. up the and then it got to number right. one, and then it stayed there or fell down a bit. It was it was that kind of thing. But nowadays, it's like it's number one, then it just disappears, doesn't it? Yeah, but that's I miss like that. I miss the, that. the only ones in the sort of eighties that would go straight to number one would be like your Michael Jacksons or your Madonnas. Yeah, yeah. yeah? Do you know what I mean? Um, remember the time my granddad was telling me this story how he spent time with the Jackson family when he was in America, and. Um, he said to Michael Jackson, he says, look, when I go back to Edinburgh, I'm going to buy a new television, one of these coloured televisions, because just now I only got the black and the white. And he said to Michael, ja- he said to Michael Jackson, sorry, he said to Michael Jackson, should I go colour, should I say, just black and white? And Michael Jackson said to him, it don't matter if you're black or white, shame on. Was that the inspiration for his 90s song then, was it? 
I'm going back to my magazine. Well, it was a story. It was it is relevant. It was oh, okay, okay. relevant. Just, but I just thought I'd share that story. Thank you. Yeah. Lovely. Oh, wow, lovely. Oof. Anyway, time to hear from our new employee. I can't believe we've been. I'm sure there's some sort of laws that we should be following on health and safety. He's on and, probation, mind. Yeah. Yeah. Do we not need to like make sure he's passed certain tests and like he's been signed off? Well, he's a kid. Been... Of, he's a child of the 80s. I've already checked it out. Very right. enthusiastic. Good. 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 He's a bit too. How can I put this? A bit obscure. Like, see the Tapal thing we could answer right now. Yeah, he'd yeah. probably come out with he would know Vulcan something. He's into his Trekkie stuff and sci-fi and things. However, he's doing something quite universal for us this time. Yes, right? he is. We've, we've reined him in a little bit. And this is the man that we refer to as David the Geek. And he has gone out there and he has found us the box office babes of the 80s. Let's hear from David the Geek. Growing up in the 80s, TV and movies were a massive influence on me, and probably still are. Many of my memories of 80s films were the absolutely gorgeous women that helped me through puberty. So here's my tribute to some of my favourite 80s box office babes. The first 80s movie babe that pops into my head has to be every 80s teen boy's fantasy woman, Kelly LeBrock, who played the gorgeous Frankenstein-like fantasy girl in Weird Science in 1985. She's alive! Alive! Being a John Hughes film, Weird Science has all the ingredients to be an awesome 80s teen comedy. A couple of geeks decide to make their ideal woman, but it doesn't quite work out as they imagine with some hilarious results. What would you little maniacs like to do first? Kelly LeBrock began her career as a model beginning at the age of just 16 before making her movie debut as another stereotypical fantasy woman in The Woman in Red, across from Gene Wilder. Come and get it, cowboy. Another team model turned 86 symbol is Phoebe Cates. In 1982, she played Linda Barrett in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Hi, Brad. You know how cute I always thought you were. The fantasy scene where she emerges from the swimming pool and removes the bikini. Yeah, you know which bit I mean. It was parodied by Rachel Hunter in the 2003 music video of Stacey's Mom by Fountains of Wayne. Phoebe Cates said, I was only 17 when I did my nude scenes in Paradise. They were serious and more difficult because they were not easily justified. But the topless scene in Fast Times was funny, which made it easy. For me, John Hughes movies are the 80s, and Molly Ringwald is in all of them. Well, not all, but sometimes it feels like it. If I think of 80s actresses, Molly always pops in my head first. Molly starred in 16 Candles in 1984 and Pretty in Pink in 86, but for me, her best film and one of the best movies of the 80s has to be The Breakfast Club. I got a question. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? I've included Kathleen Turner on this list because anyone who can make you grow up fancying a cartoon character has to be mentioned. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. Of course, I'm talking about Jessica Rabbit from Who Framed Roger Rabbit in 1988. I've put Carrie Fisher on this list for one reason and one reason alone, the gold bikini. Best known for her portrayal of Princess Leia Organa in the original Star Wars trilogy, she may not have continued her sex symbol status, but that gold bikini has become a legend. And at least she has a sense of humour about the whole Star Wars craziness. Check out Carrie Fisher roast George Lucas on YouTube. Hi, I'm Mrs. Han Solo and I'm an alcoholic. George Lucas ruined my life. And I mean that in the nicest possible way. And she's rumoured to be in the upcoming Star Wars Episode 7 in 2015, but God, I hope she isn't in that bikini. 
Elizabeth Shue starred as the love interest in some of the 80s most classic movies. She then went on to star as the teenage love interest for a certain Daniel LaRusso in The Karate Kid in 1984. But in 1989, she replaced Claudia Wells as Jennifer Parker in the two sequels to Back to the Future. In an interview, she once said, I may look like the girl next door, but you wouldn't want to live next door to me. I don't know, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't mind. The most successful of the 80s box office babes is probably Demi Moore, becoming the first actress to reach the $10 million salary mark. But she didn't start out with such a bright future ahead of her. After a traumatic childhood, Demi quit school at the age of 16 to work as a pinup girl. She suffered from alcohol and substance abuse before turning her life around to play a drug addict in St. Elmo's Fire in 1985. She then starred in About Last Night with Rob Lowe and James Belushi, and One Crazy Summer with John Cusack in 1986. Yeah, much of her success and nudity happened in the 90s, but she'd already set herself up as a box office babe in the 80s. Daryl Hannah is a stereotypical tall, sexy blonde that deserves to be on this list. Empire Magazine had her at 96 of the 100 sexiest stars in film history. I would have put her higher. Her breakout role was as the acrobatic, gorgeous replicant Chris in Blade Runner in 1982. From there, in 1984, she went on to play the lovable mermaid Madison across from Tom Hanks in Ron Howard's Splash. In 1987, she starred in Wall Street and across from the then-funny Steve Martin in Roxanne, the movie about a fire chief with a massive nose. She continues to act in lesser-known films, often independent features, with the exception of Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill, Volume 1 and 2, where she played a samurai sword-wielding, eye-patch-wearing psychopath. In 1989, Michael Keaton took over the mantle of the Batman, and who better to play his sexy co-star than Kim Basinger? Kim started her career as a model after winning the Junior Miss Georgia and competing in the National Junior Miss pageant. She decided to try acting, and eventually went on to star in the not-really-a-Bond film Never Say Never Again in 1983, across from Sean Connery, who, for a change, was meant to be talking with a Scottish accent. <laughs> It was in 1986 that she starred in Nine and a Half Weeks opposite Mickey Rourke with that infamous food sex scene that made most men in the 80s stop everything they were doing and pay attention. Meg Ryan's small part as Mrs. Goose in 80s classic Top Gun kick-started her career and led to her being cast in Steven Spielberg's Inner Space in 1987. She went on to play Sally Albright in 1989 in When Harry Met Sally, making cinematic history with that scene. It's just that all men are sure it never happened to them and most women at one time or another have done it, so you do the math. Most of Meg Ryan's success came after the 80s, where she went on to star in many films, including her three films with Tom Hanks, Sleepers in Seattle, We've Got Mail, and my favourite of the three, Jewel vs. the Volcano. And although she was, and still is, a very attractive woman, she stands out on this list as the one you would most likely take home and introduce to your mum. So that about sums up my list of 80s box office babes. For me, there are other actresses such as Michelle Pfeiffer, Sharon Stone, Leah Thompson, Helen Slater. I could go on all day. That should be on this list. But they've been kept out as they're more known for their later films or less well known in the 80s compared to the ones on the list. But get in touch and let us know who your 80s box office babes would be. So there we go. That's our uh, first employee's attempt at a little package for us. Very good. I yeah, think he's David done. The geek. And do you know the thing is? He's a little package himself. He's only about yon high. Yeah, was he four foot eight or something four, like that? Four, 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 that's four nine. He wears, he wears um, um, stuffed shoes like Tom yeah. Cruise. Yeah, you see the ones so, with like massive, like thick soles and stuff like that. He's about four and a half feet. It's quite good. It's quite yeah. good. He doesn't play VAT and pay VAT in his clothes or that. Oh, well, that's good. But he does see he's, he's one of the it's last few benefits. People, he's one of the last few people to know when it's raining. <laughs> So yeah, so that is David the Geek and he'll be back in the next episode doing something related to that episode, I'm guessing. He actually is hoping that we might do something to do with kids' telly or oh, right. have an opportunity to go through all the kids' TV shows that he's. Okay, well, I'm sure we could do something like that. Yeah, but all we're going to say is, the Geek, we employ you. All right. And we don't expect fan mail for the Geek. Don't don't, don't fuel no. his ego or anything like that. But you can send his panties and stuff. 
We get them. I don't, don't like to pass them on to you. Have you got panties? So, yeah, David the Geek, he was talking about um, some wonderful uh, actresses. Yes. Elizabeth Shue's in there. One of my favourites. I've told you that before. Uh, do you know what's quite weird? Growing up in the 80s and seeing Elizabeth Shue in so many different movies, right? Was actually not realising it's, it's half the time that it was her. All right, okay. Because I saw her in the first time I ever saw her was Crack Kid. She yeah, was a yeah, love yeah. interest of Daniel, Daniel LaRusso. Yeah. You know, she initially started, she was going out with Johnny, who was at the Cobra Kai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was a bad guy and bad stuff. Man. Bad and man. she was caught in the middle. You know, they were dressed like skeletons. They were following <laughs> Daniel LaRusso dressed as a shower. They were kicking his butt. Yeah. In front, you know, and nice. then Mr. Miyagi would come along in his khakis and stuff and his janitor wear. Yeah. You know? Helping and he catch would, flies and yeah. that. Yeah. And it was quite it was quite weird. And then obviously she then falls in love with Daniel LaRusso and then they fall out and stuff. And then at the end she's supporting him going, you know, in fact, she steals on my black belt. Do you That's a great move. <laughs> I tell you what, if you can get a woman to give you the old behind the back gr- swift and grab, <laughs> make your eyes pop. Anyhow, that's what she does because they go to the they go to the thing and Miyagi goes belt. What do you mean belt like that? And and then he puts his hand and gives it to her. And the next thing you know, Daniel Russo's got a belt. She was in loads of stuff though in the eighties, wasn't she? Like Adventures of Babysitting. That's in that. right. Back aye. to the Future Two. She was in. She that was in one Back to the Future well. Two. Yeah, the original uh, in that one, and uh, obviously the other big one that she was in, Cocktail. Run for the shelter of your love. Run for... I wonder how many people booked a holiday at that place in Jamaica. Oh, no, Where the the waterfall is, where she goes under the water. See, that's the thing as well. This is what I love about Elizabeth Shue. You know, she's not, like, wafer thin. You know, she's she's not a big two-ton test. However... She's quite quite rounded, quite curvy, yeah. you know, and people seem to forget that she's a massive star, you know. Oh, God, yeah. Especially yeah. in the 80s. I mean, she was like a leading lady, you know, and mm. Karate Kid, not so much, but more cocktail yeah, and yeah, stuff, yeah. you know. And it's that scene she does as well where she takes the bikini and Tom Cruise's giving it, <laughs> run for the shelter. The whole waterfall oh. scene and all that as well, oh, yeah. Oh, that's Wonderful. amazing. That. And then she gets spooked and stuff. I don't like the, the, the poem and that. And yeah, yeah, that. but I tell you, I tell you, I know that he's not a woman, but who's pretty good in cocktail as well? Is Brian Brown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Co- what was Co- Coglin. Coglin's Law. Law. Yeah, yeah, it comes up with that, yeah. So, yeah. Cocktails and dreams, Paul. You know, I think one day... <laughs> you should, and I should, should do it. You and I should throw up in a pub and stuff. Cocktails and dreams. Yeah, either that or I'll marry like a really rich girl and get my own yacht and then oh. we'll drink expensive brandy. Sounds good to me. Oh, I didn't end well though, did it? No, I remember he... No, he um, kind of... Yeah. yeah. Anyway, oh, Daryl Hannah as well. Yep. Let's not forget Splish, she. Splash, oh, splash. And she's still looking up. More recently, I think Kill Bill, the Kill Bill movie, she's in that. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah, still yeah. looking pretty good. Yeah. Let's not forget, she was a model, was she not? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Amazing in Splash. How'd you say her name? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> it was like dolphin like, wasn't it? Remember the TV smash stuff? <laughs> uh, she's cool in that. She's also, uh, she plays one of the, the, the main lead um, cyborg in Blade Runner. Blade Runner, yeah, yeah. 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 She's part of Rutger Howard's gang or whatever it is. Can't remember her name, but she's her makeup was amazing. I thought she was looked like amazing in Blade Runner. Mm. And uh, also, I then only remembered this the other day. She was the the sort of the love interest from Wall Street. Oh yeah, remember Michael yeah. Douglas takes yeah. yeah. in a limo. She's got the stockings on and stuff. Yeah, yeah. very beautiful woman. Wonderful, wonderful. So yeah, box office babes from David De Geek. He'll be back in episode seven. Of the 80s Rewind again. Anyway, moving on to... Un- Will you put that magazine that's down, please? What magazine? What are you reading? Can you do that without actually breaking any laws? That's filth. What are you I'm reading? Just, I'm reading it's my, it's my Playboy magazine. It's my you magazine. can't have that in work, work premises. Oh, Delicate, sh- sh- shut up. Nobody knows. I brought it in. Sorry, they get delivered in a brown envelope, but this is my 80s special. Look at that. 80s special. Who's that? Look at that. Oof. I tell is you. That, that's, is that's, that... that that's Tiffany, yeah. Remember Tiffany? She did the spare. What's an 80 special? So they're going back and they're showing oh. you the centerfolds. Do you know what I love about Playboy nowadays? 
No staples. But yeah, that's Tiffany. Remember Tiffany? That's hey, you know it'd be quite cool. Yeah, yeah, what? what you know, because that? I know it's all about Hugh Hefner and his smoking jacket and the mansion yeah, 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 yeah. And, and the grotto and all stuff, but what the do you think the story is behind Tiffany wanting to pose for Playboy? Uh, I've been out working, but you know, at the end of the day, people were saying, but it's Tiffany, the mall girl. Um, and it was really frustrating. And as I was going through that, that, that time, Playboy had asked me to pose. And um, yeah, I had to think about it for a while because I really never thought that I'd be, you know, doing something like that um, to, to promote my music. Mm. So, you know, I thought about it and I thought, well, there's going to be some people that, that aren't really thrilled about it but um it definitely will shed that image and, and and you know once i sat down with playboy and we talked about what the the actual shoot would entail and what the pictures would look like and what i would get myself into <laughs> i felt very comfortable about it and I'm, I'm really glad that i did it did you find it exciting and liberating and all that sort of thing Oh, 100%. As a woman, I totally found it extremely liberating. Um, and it's something that I'm going to look back, you know, on later on and go, yeah, I'm glad that I did it. You know, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's really great. It was um, it was a little nerve wracking, mm. definitely at, at the actual day of the shoot when, you know, you have to strip down and you're like, oh, oh, oh my goodness. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they treated me amazingly, uh, definitely. Ah, so she didn't want the image of the kind of mall girl thing carrying on any longer because she wanted to be seen as a Sunday. serious artist. And that's well, you put that thing Sunday. away. Sunday. Hey, hey, hand it here, hand it here. Give me it here. Give me it here. <sighs> take it off Give me. It. Take it off me. Take it off me. Right. <sighs> Tell you what. Hey, you did. You can't take it off me. And then start looking at yourself. The Give me it back. Give me it back. Just the blender color one. Debbie Gibson's Stop on the next page. Stop looking at it. Look, What's going on? Look, I want that back. How did I not see this before? I want, hey, all I'm going to say is, if you want to check out some Jane Fonda, she's back page, laminated. <laughs> For a reason. Anyway, moving on to our next interview guest here on the 80s Rewind Again podcast. And it's uh, a lovely lady that I spoke to just very recently indeed. She was on my show just last night, actually. We're recording this on a Wednesday. Um, and uh, yeah, she's a lovely lady. Her dad was a star in the 50s and 60s, Marty. That's Her right. brother was a teen star in the 70s. I didn't know that. Yeah, he appeared on front covers of magazines. He was billed as like the next Donny Osmond kind of thing. And uh, Kim, the woman I'm talking to, was discovered by the record producer Mickey Most when he heard her doing backing vocals on one of Ricky's songs. Fantastic. He was there, heard it and thought, oh, yeah, she's good, give her a chance, that kind of thing. <laughs> so Ricky and his dad, Marty, they got together, wrote <laughs> a few good. songs. That kid's good, she's got it. So, uh, yeah, got together, wrote a few songs. One of them was called Kids in America. Kim sang it. Whoa. And all of a sudden, bang, 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 bang. Lit the blue touch paper. <laughs> Instant star. She reflects on everything like that. And here she is talking about what it was like being back in that time. Um, you know, to be so young, to be 20 years old and, and have a massive hit record and then suddenly travelling all over the world and, um, and making music and doing what I wanted to do and, and being able to pay my way. I was always a very independent girl. I used mm. to hate taking cash off my mum and dad. <laughs> and um, I was always very proud. So it was lovely to be earning money and, and doing something that I love to do. So it was all, it was all just fantastic, really. Did you expect it to be as big as it was? I mean, like you, hear, you hear other artists and when they write a song or they hear a song or they've recorded one and they kind of think, that's going to be it, that's, that's going to be massive. Did you have that same kind of feeling with Kids in America? No, I never really thought that way about... And, and, and actually, with subsequent hits, I never felt that way about probably most of them. I think maybe my brother did because he was writing a lot <laughs> of them and uh, my father initially as well. But, 
Uh, for me, uh, I was just glad to be in a studio singing. I felt incredibly privileged to be doing the job that I wanted to do and getting paid for it. And I still, I still pinch myself that I've, I'm still able to do that. I'm still recording now, writing now and singing now. Uh, very lucky. So you certainly enjoyed the pop style lifestyle then, travelling around the world, recording and performing and all that sort of stuff. Do you still enjoy that today? Because you still do a lot of the tours now, don't you? I do a lot of live work now, and much more so than I ever did in the early days. It was all about pouting a lot and um, <laughs> making uh, videos, of course. That was, those are the days when MTV actually was about music. And um, But yeah, so now it's all about live music, which is fantastic. I really love that. I've got an amazing band and we do work all the time. We've got a lot of work already in for... Uh, uh, some in the UK this year for the Rewind festivals mm. and I'm planning to do some of my own concerts towards the back end of uh, 2013. And you do a lot of, uh, of touring and stuff on the continent as well because you've got a massive following over there, haven't you? Yeah, I'm, I've had um, a German record deal of one sort or another for the last 10 years and made a few albums and I'm about to make another one or two actually this year. Um, and um, yeah, I, I had a big hit with an artist there called Nena, who's still a huge star over of there. Course, she's yeah. sort of, uh, she's really sort of Germany's Madonna in, in a way, you know, I mean, she's a, a fantastic musician and um, great personality. And I managed to have a huge hit with her somehow, but <laughs> bit accidentally a few years ago, and it completely um, got everyone interested in what I was doing again. So. I've, uh, I have a lot to thank Germany for, and Nana, of course. Towards like, the end of the late 80s, um, one thing I've always wondered, the album Another Step, it was a great album, it had massive singles on there, but it failed to chart in the top 40 here in the UK. Why, why was that? Was that a lack of record company promo? or what, Why was that, do you think? I don't know because you know obviously the the uh, cover version we did um, of you keep me hanging yeah. on, um, you know it went to number one in America and it did really well here in the UK. Um, and the title track itself, sh- yeah, it was another big hit, wasn't it? Another step closer to you. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, the 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 uh, song, yeah, the song I did with Junior was was a top ten hit as well. So, I mean, it did you know it did it did well enough. You know, I would never complain about that. But I think sometimes, um, you know, an artist has a bit of a shelf life. You know, and, and you can kind of, you know, that probably someone else came along who was more interesting at the time, like Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but the, you know these things happen. You know, suddenly one minute you're the flavor of the month, and then you're not. So. But I, I wasn't complaining at the time because a number one in America was very nice, thanks. <laughs> Definitely. And I, I've read somewhere that you, you said maybe a slight regret not making a bit more of an effort to crack that US market after that single. Is, is that true? No, I never regretted that um, at all because I would have had to have given up so much of a, a life that I truly, really cherish living in the UK, living mm. in England and um, my family and friends and the way of life here. And, and also my career on mainland Europe, I absolutely... I feel you know incredibly lucky that I can wake up in Hamburg or Munich, Berlin, Paris. Um, you know these are amazing countries. Amsterdam. You know, and I feel t- you know these are great countries to be a part of. Mm, I'm not saying America isn't, but it's a bloody long way away, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it certainly is. Um, following up that album, then was a, a, an album which definitely brought you back into the spotlight, didn't it? It was a top ten album, close, uh, and three more big singles in there for you as well. And that kind of led on to something I want to ask you about as well. You toured Europe in support of Michael Jackson on the Bad Tour. Now, how did that come about? How how amazing was that? Yeah, I mean that was a phone call that. Um, 
came through to our office, does Kim want to tour with Michael Jackson on mainland Europe <laughs> and the UK? And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, you know, this is this is just crazy. I mean, um, he's the greatest performer. You know, he's the king of pop. And um, and who am I? You know, what, what's going on here? So I kind of, I remember saying to um, my mum actually at the time, I said, I think this is it really beyond me mum I just I really don't think I can step up to the mark on this and of course like all good mums she she said yeah you can of course you can <laughs> um so um, I went for it and it was one of the best things that happened to me career-wise it really um made me raise my game my own personal game uh, I learned a lot from watching him um I did 30 shows with him wow. I did seven nights consecutively at uh, the old Wembley Stadium um, so yeah, it was an astonishing time in my career. Close, as you mentioned, did really, really well for mm. me, and um, yeah, it was a turning point in my career. And in terms of Michael Jackson, did you get to, to interact with him much during the tour? Well, no, and I mean, actually, it's not—it's not that surprising, really. I mean, if you mm. think of big artists who tour now, like Madonna or Lady Gaga, you know, there's very little chance that I'm sure the people around them get. To hang out with them much either yeah. so I, I wasn't that surprised that he wasn't the hanging out to type um <laughs> but I, I i you know obviously what surrounded him was very circus like and we did meet um on one occasion to have a photograph taken and i think um you know he seemed really reluctant to um, share much of himself he seemed a very private man and i guess he had his reasons so there we go, Kim Wilde. Amazing. Imagine being offered the opportunity to tour with Michael Jackson. That's just, I mean, for 1987, that's that's phenomenal. That mm. is absolutely, mm. Michael Jackson was just, he was massive then. Uh, it's a shame she didn't get to spend, I would have thought maybe, because <laughs> he comes across, well, he did come across as such a really like nice sort yeah, of nice guy. Yeah, nice kind of touchy-feely yeah, sort of Yeah, because he was yes. still, he was still acceptable, Michael Jackson. Yeah, Do you know yeah. what I mean? He didn't, he hadn't changed sort of too much of stuff. But I, I thought he would have let's go for some dinners and let's sit ourselves down <laughs> and we'll have some gumbo. And Malama. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, apparently he was bubbles. just kind of helicoptered in and he kind of rushed on, well, got I'm his really makeup, rushed on stage and stuff. I'm yeah, really she met him that. once, got a nice photo with him once, which I've seen online actually. Um, you can get to see the photo of them stood together. Yeah. So. But yeah, no, it's, it's it's amazing how big she was and she did crack America with a number one single over she did. there and um, didn't really follow up. But as she said, she preferred to stay over here because she likes UK, she likes living in England, she likes the Good fact daughter. that she can commute to, to Europe and she was a big star in Europe. So she didn't really want to drop it all, go over to America and try and break over there but do you know Good what I mean? fair play to her fair and, play to her and uh, not only did she have all these sort of hits in the 80s and stuff more recently she's had the hits because you guys were talking about the, the tube at Christmas yep, yep, yep. she had a few drinks start singing was it Kids in America she was singing on the tube I yeah, can't she remember was, yeah. but that's had a few tits on. Like, I tell you I would love to be the guy filming that <laughs> <laughs> brilliant like brilliant and here she is talking about that video on the tube Well, what happened was my brother Ricky and I, uh, we went to uh, um, Magic's Christmas party in mm. London um, and we took the train, where, me and Rick and the guitar, um, because we were going to sing a couple of songs at the party and we weren't going to stay long. The idea wasn't to stay long. And, um, and of course, we got there and there were these fantastic cocktails flying around and, <laughs> yeah. and me and my brother, who don't get to spend that much time together, we just, we just let our hair down a bit and had a bit of a 
party on uh, and ended up obviously back on the train to go home with my husband waiting at the other end to pick us up and <laughs> and um and i and I, I i found these antlers on the way out of the party that some um, gorgeous girl had been wearing and had thrown away so i thought oh, i'll have them and um so that that's kind of the rest is history really i just thought i i, I seized the moment you know i just saw an opportunity it was mm. christmas um i was a bit over refreshed um and i thought well we you know we've just done the songs and you know maybe it might cheer people up and uh, and it cheered up a few people but of course as you anyone who's watched it there are a few people who really were <laughs> deeply unimpressed oh, so um yeah it was hilarious it certainly Can't believe was it. it's good it's good that you see the, the funny side of things as well did, did you realize you were being filmed at the time um, well, I think halfway through, you see, you see me noticing someone filming, but you know, at the time, I really was a, a little um, past caring, shall we put it? Indeed, and um, I hadn't, I didn't, you know, the, the last thing I thought was, oh, uh, and nearly um, two million people are going to watch this on on YouTube <laughs> next week. So um, no, I, I, you know, I just uh, was having fun and and uh, sharing the joy. Indeed, and why not? Why not? Indeed. <laughs> Do you think maybe if you'd ask her, she might film something, something else, maybe? Sorry, again, I, I, I need a filter. Far. You I just need a filter. Too far. I need a filter. That brain of yours. You think it's just that magazine. Where is the magazine? It's hidden. It's mine. <laughs> Nobody back. Uh, so, yeah, so <laughs> wonderful singer, Kim Wilde. And she was actually good enough to uh, participate in a little feature that will be running over future podcasts. And I don't want to give too much away um, because I want to save it as a big surprise. Wow. Yes, it is. It's going to be wonderful. That's all I can say. Uh, so, yeah. That. One more thing to do before we get on to our tributes to the fallen artists of the 80s that uh, passed away, sadly, in 2012. And it's a bit of a test for you. Pop yep. quiz. Oh, I love it, love it. Can I get a buzzer? Can I get a buzzer? Uh, no. Can I make up one buzzer? I spent all our money on David the Geek. Let me make up one buzzer then. Okay, go for it. Right, this is my buzzer. Yep. It's like an old-fashioned horn. That's your buzzer. You're going to do that every time you need to answer the question. Well, I don't really need buzzers. Well, it's not do much I? of a question. It's kind of. A, Can we have like a quick okay. fire round later on? Then I'll, <laughs> I'll just use it. I'll, I'll come up with something. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, so anyway, to you. Yep. I went through the list of the top 100 <clears throat> selling singles in the UK in the 80s. Okay. okay. So the biggest 100 selling songs. Now I want you to tell me because this is episode six. The top six best selling songs of the 80s that reference a female in the title. You son okay? of a gun. In the title. I don't care if it's mentioned anywhere else in the song lyrics. But when I say mentions uh, references a female, it can be either a female name it can be a reference in terms of saying she it can be a reference in terms of woman or lady, lady right, or okay. anything girl, girl that kind of thing right. so anything with the words girl lady woman she or a girl's name in the title what is it go on give me give me so I have to give you six yeah Europe Carry no what that's a girl's name right there it is but it's not in the top 100 it's not one of the six best um, can I just say before we before we move on because uh, there's a slight technicality here yep. um, the biggest um, selling song with a reference to a female in the title I'm not going to include and I'll tell you why Right. it's a song called Everything She Wants do you remember that? Everything She Wants the sixth biggest selling song of the 80s who was that by? Wham I don't remember that at all. And do you know why you don't remember it? Why? Because it was a double A side with Last Christmas. Hey, I tell you. So I'm ditching that. Forget about it. Nobody was buying it for everything she wants. I'm disgusted at that. If there's anyone that had double sides, it was George <laughs> Michael. Indeed. So we're ditching that one. So right, forget okay, that let's one. go. Right, the okay. Six. Right, go. so Carrie, if uh, Carrie by <laughs> Europe's not there. You uh, didn't do your buzzer. How about. You said not to use the buzzer. Okay, go for it. <laughs> Girls on film, Dran Dran. No. 
What? No. Rio. Rio Duran Duran. No. Some girls could be called Rio. Um, Some girls could be called Rio. (laughs) (laughs) Motley Crew, girls, girls, girls. No. Not doing very well here. Come on. I'm not talking about obscure songs here. We're talking about the biggest selling songs of the 80s. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Do you know, I was going to say Roy Orbison's Pretty Woman, but that was 1990 Pretty Woman came Mm, out, wasn't it? It's not that one. Girls Shall I start to introduce some clues? No, wait, I'm, I'm okay, got, okay, let me okay. at least get one. Okay, okay, okay. Um, Devil Woman, Cliff Richard. No. Mm-hmm. Is that not 70s? I think it was. Could be Hero Wild. Right, Girls Lady. Lady in Red, Christa Berg. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> we have number four on the list. Never saw you looking for From 1986, Alec Baldwin and Melanie Griffiths mm-hmm. danced to it in the 88 mm-hmm. film Working Girl. Lady in Red by Christa Berg is the 71st biggest selling song of the 80s here in the UK. Here's another one. Okay. Barbara Streisand. Woman in Love. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Number three on the list. 28th best-selling song of the 80s, written by Barry and Robin Gibb of the Bee Gees. From the Guilty album. Oh, we got nothing new but Sure, indeed. Oh, biggest-selling song of 1980 in France and the second biggest-selling song of 1980 here in the UK. That's how big that song Brilliant. was. Did Barbara Streisand, I think in it earlier on as well, she also... Um, uh, duetted with Neil Diamond. You don't bring me flowers. You don't see me loud. <laughs> but I love guilty. How are you gonna never do it again? You want to know me? So anyway, come on, give us another one. Um, no, uh, right, come on, so come on. You're doing what well. I used then? That's lady and that's wrong. woman. Um, lady in red, woman in love. You got them two. Come on, it's four more to find. Did anyone cover the eighties? Tall and tanned and down and lovely. The girl from Ipanema. No. Probably did, but he's not no. on the list. I'm afraid. No. Okay. Sorry, sorry. Uh, Mark uh, that one off. Right, girl, woman, no. girl, woman, lady. A girl's name. Uh, the damned and Eloise. Not on the top list. I'm afraid. I'm Eloise. Afraid. That's a great song. Uh, oh, um, can I get some clues now? Then I've got two. Got some clues. Right, we'll start at the bottom then. 96th best-selling song of the 80s. It was the first single issued after this man's death. Written as an ode to Yoko Ono. By John Lennon. Oh. Come on, it's one word. It can't be difficult. It's woman. It's woman. <laughs> can I just say and tell you, listen, it's no laughing there. Can I just say and tell you, you gave me that clue that it's one word? I was going to say, was that just like that? <laughs> she broke up the Beatles. <laughs> Watching the wheels oh. run around. Uh, on to number five then. Um, 88th biggest selling song of the 80s. It was the second single release from Thriller. <gasps> The song was remixed 91 times by the oh, studio no, engineer it's, it's before Billie it was Jean, final. It's Billie Jean, ding, 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 ding. Billie Jean, not my love. She, she said they am the one. I'll tell you what's a good one from that album as well. It's P.Y.T., Pretty Young Thing, when he sings with the chipmunks. <laughs> anyway, moving on to the second yep. biggest selling song of the 80s with a f- reference to a female in the title. Uh, we've talked about it on a previous podcast. Mm. Um, it was written for or about that bird off the one show. Not really, but you know what I mean. Oh, oh, hey, oh. do you know something? Hey, oh, oh, what's happening? Within my research here, no okay. Way. Before I tell you what it is, go okay. For it, go for it. The supermodel of the 1980s, <laughs> she graced the covers of nearly all the leading magazines. She's on page 27 of that magazine, by the way. She really? Uh, including several Sports Illustrated oh. swimsuit issues. Her 20-year contract with Carvago, began in 1976, was the longest in modelling history. In 1985, she wanted pops like a brilliant Joe! And you're talking about Uptown Girl! Uptown Girl, indeed! Five weeks at number one in 1983. Second biggest selling song of 1983 behind Karma Chameleon by Culture Club. So you go, 19th biggest selling song of the 80s, that one. And the biggest selling song of the 80s that references a female in the title is that five already we've got five we've done five we've done five we're on to the biggest one now here we go 
1982, the best-selling best song of the year. It won the best single at the Brits. Massive, tenth biggest-selling song. Was it by a lady? 80s. Was it by a woman? No, no. Because I've got a list of the Brits when I was women. I can't believe your research. This is incredible. Right, okay, this is incredible. Right, right. So, no, tenth best- best-selling song of the 80s. 1982. 1982, right. best-selling song of 1982. Mm. Come on. Can I use my buzzer? Yeah. Right, can, can I get more clues? Can I get, what's, what are the clues again? Number t- tenth best-selling song of the 80s. Best-selling song of 1982. Come on. <laughs> I know it. <laughs> the same band has got a song from the same year, I think, because um, it's on my Chart Explosion 1982 album. Uh, they spell their, their, his name differently to my name. That was a lot before this one. Was it? Yeah, it was a couple of years before. Oh, was it? Maybe yeah. I'm thinking 1988 then. Anyway, um, yeah, this band's got a, a, yeah, you're a, on the a right song track. with my name in it. So this, this song in particular is... Molly. What the heck? Molly. Who's Molly? Molly. It's come on, Eileen. Oh, Eileen. Come on, oh, Eileen. That is it. I think it's Molly. That sounds nothing like that song. You know, he's now he's now got mental issues, and that's what he does. When he does that, he gets a tablet. He dresses like a woman. What do you mean he's not got mental issues? Molly. Kevin Roland. So yeah, there you go. The Love biggest him. selling song of the 80s that references a female in the title. Come Dexy's on, Midnight Runners. Come on, Eileen. The biggest selling song of 1982. Just to run down the rest in the order. Just yeah, go for it. Get... Crack on, crack on. So number one was Dexy's Come on, Eileen. Number two, Billy Joel's Uptown Girl. Number three was Barbara Streisand, Woman in Love, which is also the 28th best selling song of the 80s. Wow. Number four, Krista Burr, Lady in Red, which was the 71st song. biggest selling song of the 80s. Michael Jean, uh, Michael Jeans. Michael Jean with Michael Billy Jackson. Jean's <laughs> Billy Jackson was the 88th best selling song of the 80s. I'm Tito, I'm Jermaine, I'm Billy. <laughs> nice to meet you. And John Lennon's Woman was the 96th biggest oh. selling song of the 80s. Oh, John Bing. Lennon, Woman, please let me explain. Wonderful. I've only ever seen my dad cry twice. Okay. Uh, once when my mum had to do the Heimlich manoeuvre because he choked on some garlic bread. Second time was John Lennon died. Oh, yeah. He's a big he's, fan. He's still got the newspapers from that day. Has he? From that day in 1980, yeah. That's pretty cool, actually. Sad times, sad times. Yeah, Love sad you, time. Big Enzo. And he downloads the podcast. What do you want to say hello to him? Oh, hi, Enzo. He loves us. He loves us. Oh, that's loves nice us. to know. Yeah. Got good support. Thank you very much for everyone else that downloads the podcast yeah, as well. We I mean, love you guys. This, this is actually a heartfelt um, thank you very much because we've been looking at the, the podcast stats and absolutely incredible. Well over five figures now for the downloads, Amazing. which is absolutely incredible. Um, We'd like to hear from you as well. Like Lovely. three C's. We'd like some compliments. We'd like some criticism, and we'd like some panties. Just... It begins with P, but yeah, okay. Not if they're torchless. <laughs> <laughs> no, anyway, no. We'd like we'd like some. We'd like you to give us some feedback, and also yeah, as well because yeah. uh, we're sort of distracted from this. In the first couple of episodes, we said, look, if you want to get in touch, do you want to suggest a theme? Do you want to suggest something? Uh, then, then follow us on Twitter. I'm the Gino Conti at twitter.com. And I'm 80s Paul. Uh, and you can get in touch other ways as well. You can email either Gino MFR, you can email Paul at MFR. One of the ways will get to us. We'd like to know different things. We'd like to know what do you think of the podcast? What's good? What's bad? Would you like it um, a bit more regular? Because we had a couple of comments saying we'd well, like yeah, a weekly I mean, one. A weekly one's a bit kind of it's not really tough possible for full time yeah. jobs and stuff like that. We try, I mean, ideally, it'd be quite good. We were thinking, we were having this, literally having this chat yeah, the other yeah. day. We keep the podcast maybe a monthly episode, but maybe we do like a mini episode yeah, or. In the middle. Kind like of like a, a short, yeah. kind of half an hour. Like 20 minute, thing, half yeah. an hour, just a yeah. one interview, bit of chat. That'd be yeah. quite cool. So yeah, tell us what good. you want. Tell yeah, us so you tell want. us, tell us if you'd like that kind of thing. Would you prefer maybe a, a shorter podcast? Is an hour too long for you? That's that's another uh, issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, enough interviews? Is there not enough interviews? Is there enough features packages? Is there not enough features? All packages? I'm going to say, just like to get some feedback a bit more from you. When I was doing my research on this podcast, I was also research. researching other podcasts. All right, and okay. We do pretty good with interviews. 
That's all I'm going to say. Pretty good interviews. Well, we try our best. It is obviously um, a nice follow-up to my show, which is on a Tuesday night on MFR2, which is uh, the 80s Rewind show. And all the interviews that we, we bring you here on this podcast are out in full, because they're obviously, I can't put the whole 20-minute interview yeah, out on these yeah. podcasts or else we'll be here forever. But uh, yeah, the, the full ones are out on my show and we kind of take snippets and we put them into the, the podcast to try and to keep things going, you know, just to try and entertain. Yeah. And if you are big fans, we, we've had people in touch from America. Um, All over the world. Yeah, yeah, especially Mr. Philip Sue. He's been in touch a couple of times, so thank you very much, Philip. We Love your feedback, Philip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we need. We need guidance. We just started this yeah. as a little project. Yeah. It's gone a bit haywire We've on dipped us. our toe into the old yeah. podcast arena, and we didn't know what we were doing. We just kind of put the first one together just to see what would happen, and it's kind of gone a bit crazy, hasn't it, really? Yeah. It's really nice of you. Thank I liked, you very much. I like dipping my toe into the world of podcast, however. I should have made sure that I hadn't paid on the night before, because now people oh, are like, you've got a painted toe, why have uh, you got painted toes? But then look at Boy George, I thought he was a woman. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the boy bit in the George and it not give it away. No, well, that's what I'm saying. It was I thought it was a trick. I thought he's playing games with us. Uh, yeah. Speaking of boy George, tweet of the week for me. I was reading his tweet the other day. What did he say? He said something about um, four years ago. I was watching Barack Obama getting sworn in uh, in solitary confinement in Pentonville Prison or something like that. That's right. And he says he... Uh, today is much better or something like that. Yeah. So tweet of the week for me goes to him. I think boy George a few years ago was going through just because remember he yeah. ended up that yeah. I don't know how he came about but some you know one minute he's got out for a wee walk in the shops next minute there's somebody handcuffed to his radiator it's like you can't do that <laughs> you can't do that you know so now you have to sweep up rubbish but no that's true that's true yeah yeah. Good there's time, been a few a few 80s stars that have had struggles lately but uh, I mean that's the way the world I mean stardom's difficult to cope with isn't it the best of times when you lose stardom it's obviously... <laughs> I can't cope <laughs> hold on hold on Oh, I'm better. Oh, you've done it on your T-shirt. You're it's supposed okay. to use a blooming hanky or something. I'm commando today. Okay, let's not talk about stains okay. on things. Okay, nice. So anyway, we're going to finish off episode six of the 80s Rewind Again podcast with a look back, a nice tribute to those um, artists, musical musicians, singers, songwriters, that kind of thing that passed away in 2012. And we lost far too many people last year. Um, big artists. And it is, it is a shame and it is sad. But we're going to look back now at those artists that sadly passed away. Like the 80s, you're gone, but not forgotten. We start in May, where the musical world lost three icons in the space of just 16 days. BG star Robin Gibb lost his long-term fight with cancer sadly passing away on the 20th of May, aged just 62. Without a doubt, the most successful group of the 1970s. The Bee Gees! I have personal favourites. I love words. It's only words. How deep is your love? And the faster stuff, I love staying alive. You should be dancing and jive talking. All the special places for me. We're a chain reaction for Diana Ross. and the stream for Kenny Rogers and Heartbreaker for Dion Warren. Along with his older brother Barry and twin brother Morris, he was part of one of the biggest bands of all time, with a career stretching 45 years and with record sales in excess of 200 million worldwide. The group's big 80s hit was the number one single, You Win Again, which topped the charts around the world. And just three days earlier, the world mourned the loss of the Queen of Disco. We have some breaking news. Donna Summer has died. 
Donna Summer passed away on May 17th at the age of 63. Having gained a massive following for a string of disco hits in the 70s, Summer continued her success throughout the 80s with nine top 40 singles here in the UK, including the hit This Time I Know It's For Real, which peaked at number three in 1989. Donna won five Grammy Awards and was the first artist to reach number one with three consecutive double albums in the US, and this year will be posthumously inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And at the start of May, one of hip-hop's great innovators also passed away. Adam Yock, a.k.a. MCA, died at the age of 47. As part of the Beastie Boys, he helped propel the group to become one of the biggest bands of the hip-hop movement, with worldwide sales in excess of 40 million and seven albums achieving platinum or higher status. The big singles were No Sleep Till Brooklyn and You Gotta Fight For The Right To Party. You gotta fight for your right to Sad news emerged in April that men at work instrumentalist Greg Hamm had died. Police are tonight investigating the death of one of Australia's most profound musicians, Men at Work's Greg Hamm. The man behind the infectious flute riff on the group's worldwide smash hit Down Under. And the sax solo from the single Who Can It Be Now? Was found dead at his home in Australia on the 19th of April. He was just 58 years old. On September the 4th, lead singer and focal point of the disco group Odyssey, Lillian Lopez, passed away. The group, best known for their 1980 number one hit, Use It Up, Wear It Out, scored more success here in the UK than they did in their home country of America. Lillian was 76 years old. On February the 29th, talented guitarist Roland Bautista passed away. He played with Earth, Wind & Fire throughout the early 80s, featuring on their number three hit single from 1981, Let's Groove. He also worked with artists like The Jackson 5, Tom Waits and Randy Crawford. Roland was 60 years old. Another guitarist that sadly passed away was Hugh Lloyd Langton from Hawkwind. He died on the 6th of December, age 61, following a two-year battle with cancer. Another musician from the rock world left us at the start of 2012. Renowned drummer Robbie France died aged just 52 on January the 14th. He's best known for drumming with Diamond Head on their classic single, Making Music. As well as this, he started 90s band Skunk and Nancy and also had stints playing for UFO and Alphaville. A couple of important songwriters to mention too at this point, including the man best known for a huge hit from 1967. Scott McKenzie wrote the smash hit single, San Francisco. He also co-wrote with the Beach Boys the song Kokomo, which was a number one around the world in 1988. Scott was 73 years old when he died on August the 18th last year. Another significant songwriter, David Eric Lowen, passed away on the 23rd of March, aged just 60. He was part of the team behind Pat Benatar's 1984 hit, We Belong. 
But we finish off our special look back at those we lost in 2012 with the biggest shock of the year. We have breaking news tonight. We've lost a legend. There was clearly only one witness. Whitney Houston! Whitney Houston! Singer Whitney Houston, one of the greatest voices of our generation, has died. A woman that had won more music awards than any other female musician and the only artist to achieve seven consecutive number one singles in the US. I am, of course, talking about Whitney Houston. A prodigy from a young age, Houston sang backing vocals on hit singles, including Shaka Khan's I'm Every Woman, before turning 16. She went on to sell millions of albums and singles, perform to millions of fans around the world in sellout tours, and star in Hollywood blockbusters. Her influence paved the way for many artists, and her legacy will live on forever. Houston died on the 11th of February, aged just 48. Like the 80s, you're gone, but not forgotten. Nice line, that touch. That was a good touch. That was a nice line. Do you like to, just saying you like to touch? You want to touch? I like to touch you. I don't think we should touch. No. I like like sitting next to you and, and, and doing the podcast, but I'm not touching, Paul. You've got the magazine as well. I want the magazine back. You're not having the magazine In fact, back. I wouldn't touch page 47. And page 42. Who's page 47? Wilma Flintstone. Oof. <laughs> well, you would, Wilma, but you'd be thinking of Betty. I would. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for downloading this podcast. Get more from the North's number one radio station at mfr.co.uk.